Welcome to As Luck Would Have It. My name is Abby and I am the Admin and Comms Worker here at Leichhardt Uniting. We are a church based on Gadigal and Wongal land in Sydney, Australia. You'll find us at Leichhardt Uniting Church-LUC on Facebook. Sermons are on YouTube under the same name and you can find out more about our church and our team at leichhardtuniting.org.au. In this episode of As Luck Would Have It, Reverend Radhika Sukumar White is preaching about Mary and Martha from Luke 10, 38-42. This is part five of a six-part series, originally preached for Lent 2022 on biblical women calling us to repentance. I will be providing the reading ahead of the sermon from the New Revised Standard Version. This is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38-42. to now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Thus ends the reading. Please enjoy the following sermon. So we've been on this journey together, looking at specific biblical women uh, from the Bible, evidently, uh, and the ways that they call us to repentance. Uh, In the last few weeks, we've talked about Eve, Deborah, Hannah, and the unnamed woman in Judges. But tonight's story may well be much more familiar to you, uh, whether or not you are new to the church or have grown up within it. Tonight we heard the story of Mary, Martha and Jesus. And the traditional interpretation of this story tells us that Martha, a domestic diva who is waiting upon Jesus, chastises her sister Mary by telling Jesus he has to tell Mary to help her out. Jesus retorts that Martha is worrying about things that are unimportant. Mary has made the better choice. Who are you, Martha, to worry about food preparation and dishes when there are lessons to be learnt at the feet of Jesus? This season of Lent, as always, began with Ash Wednesday back in early March, when our congregation joined with churches all around the world in inviting one another to look at our lives and consider whether we are fully responding to the call of God. We began Lent with the discipline, the ritual of the church, the practice of confession. My goodness, we have so much confessing to do about this story. Truly, Martha is almost a caricature in usual interpretations of this story. We see her as bustling, scatterbrained, small-minded, passive-aggressive, a complainer, a workaholic, over-functioning, quarrelsome, and just someone who talks too much. So, we the church have to confess the ways that we are tuned to read this story as a competition between two women, two sisters. Why is it that whenever there are two women in a story, any story, a book, a TV show, a movie, they have to be against each other, fighting each other, competing with each other? 
it's because our society fosters and depends on this socialization of women towards competitiveness and judgment and expectation. It is a really easy way to control women, to elevate and exacerbate our personal insecurities, which are themselves the result of unrealistic expectations of gender and beauty. To put women in a mindset where they are too busy competing against one another to fight against sexism. Very well played, society. We, the church, also have to confess the ways traditional readings of this Mary and Martha story embody the distractions of well-meaning whiteness. This may be a little left field, but it is something that I am also guilty of. Well-meaning whiteness is the kind of whiteness that says, yeah, black lives matter, but really all lives matter. And I can save them all if you'll just let me manage my to-do list and stop demanding that I focus only on black lives. Because, you know, there are hungry lives and refugee lives and poor little wide-eyed Aboriginal lives and, and black lives matter should just stop hogging the microphone. I really hope you hear my heavy sarcasm. Martha can be a kind of a chosen saint for standing on the pedestal of a strong work ethic. But her distracted determination that all things matter always at the same time is problematic to her ability to learn an essential thing that matters at this particular moment. It's problematic to her ability to sit in solidarity with Mary and with Jesus. And it's problematic in her ability to let someone else say what is needed and how to go about it. We, the church, also have to confess that when many of us think of the person Martha, a picture from a children's Bible comes to mind where Mary sits at Jesus' feet, sort of gazing up towards him in a loving way, while in the background, an inevitably less attractive Martha leans against the kitchen door with an evil, distrustful look on her face. Martha is literally the patron saint of housewives and cooks. She's literally that patron saint. There are no hymns about Martha as far as I could tell. And in England and spreading over the world, there is a group opposed to the emancipation of women known as the Martha Movement. But at the same time, over the centuries, Martha's work in the kitchen has been also chastised by theologians. So Martha, Martin Luther said, Martha, your work must be punished and counted as naught. And John Calvin accused Martha of carrying her activity beyond the proper bounds because according to him, Christ would have preferred to be entertained in a more frugal manner. So the more theologians chastised Martha's work, the more it seemed that the church chastised women whose work kept them busy and distracted in the kitchen. So we cannot win. Now, one of my very best friends is firmly on the, the Mary side, if there is a Mary and Martha dichotomy. She does not cook for company. She'd much rather organise catering for fear of missing out. And she's much more of that kind of casual potluck vibe. In the book of advice my bridesmaids passed around at my bridal shower, she wrote, a clean house is a sign of a life not lived. I am a Martha. I am ridiculously organized. I am an organizer. I am a tidier. 
I am someone who cleans the house before the house cleaner comes to clean the house, just to make sure the cleaner does their job properly. These two women, we are told, are who we need to choose between. Are you a Martha or a Mary? You may well have been asked. Are you sometimes one and then the other? And what does Jesus have against Martha anyway? What if I told you, friends, absolutely nothing? That maybe Martha is suffering from the same linguistic assumptions that punish modern women today for being aggressive or bossy or loud or strong. Maybe we got Martha and Mary completely wrong. So tonight, as we explore these women, I want to get a little granular and take a closer look at the original language, because sometimes, as you know, what a writer writes is different than what the reader reads. What we hear is always shaped by context and by teaching. So, bigger uh, bigger setting, where is this story in the Bible and who are the characters? This story we heard from the Gospel according to Luke one of the four books of the Bible that tells the story of Jesus. The author of Luke also wrote wrote the Acts of the Apostles, the story of the early church immediately following the resurrection of Jesus. Remember that because it's going to be important. Mary and Martha, we know, are sisters, and they have a brother called Lazarus. They live in Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. And in John's Gospel, we hear more of the close relationship between Mary, Martha, Lazarus and Jesus. They were very close-knit. So Jesus comes to Bethany to respond to the sister's call when their brother Lazarus falls ill and then dies. And then Jesus raises him from the dead. So these three siblings are like Jesus' best friends, Jesus' disciples. He loves them and they love him. That's an important thing too, to remember. So we encounter this story. It says, Martha was distracted with much serving. When you hear the word serving, do you, do you imagine kind of demure, seen but not heard, lowly work? Because I know I do. But the amazing feminist theologian Elizabeth Schlusser Fiorenza says, no. Nah. She says the Greek word for serve, diakonia, is the origin of the word deacon for those who have come from uh, church backgrounds where there have been deacons. And yes, while this word could be interpreted as serving food, that's not how the word must be interpreted. Assuming that Martha must have been like a waiter says more about what we hear as listeners and our cultural assumptions than what Martha was actually doing. So might Martha instead be burned out from her work as a minister, as a deacon, as someone who was ministering to people on the margins of society, a little bit like what a social worker might do today. And there's other issues with, this, with the language of this passage and traditional interpretations of it. For example, many translations of this story leave out a small but a really key word, and the word is also. So it says, Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Doesn't that mean that Martha was also there doing the same thing? And if our translation of diaconia was way off, what else might might we be missing? In the book of Acts, which is like part two of this story, Paul, 
one of Christianity's earliest and most prolific writers and missionaries, describes himself before he was converted as one who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. An important detail of Paul's life is that before he was converted to Christianity, he was not only Jewish, but he persecuted followers of Jesus. And he was trained that way by Gamaliel. Gamaliel trained Paul. You could say that before Paul became a Christian, he was a disciple of Gamaliel. Now, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke wrote tonight's story. So, could the phrase, sit at the feet of, used in two different places, by the same author, have a non-literal meaning? Can you go to the next slide, Cody? When we imagine Mary at the feet of Jesus and Paul at the feet of Gamaliel, we see two really different things. Paul at the feet of Gamaliel looks like this. It's like he's in a lecture. He is hard at work. He's a scholar. He's taking notes. Next slide. This is how we see Mary, right? Like a love-struck teenager. She doesn't even have a notebook. Thanks. Next slide. So, what if this phrase, to sit at the feet of, like Mary did and like Paul did, is an idiom referring to one who follows, one who is a disciple. In this rendering, Mary and Martha are real disciples of Jesus, on equal footing with each other, on equal footing with the men disciples of that time, and partners in Jesus' work on earth. Now let's take a step away from tonight's story. What if in this story Mary isn't even there? What if it's just Martha and Jesus in the story? You could, I mean, there is no direct evidence in the story that Mary is even present. She never speaks in the story. So now imagine a different scene. Imagine that Martha is worn out from her work as a, like a social worker in Bethany, like a community minister. Her best friend Jesus arrives and she greets him, but then she launches straight into how burnt out she is feeling. And Mary is so busy with what Jesus has her doing that Martha is struggling to get all her personal ministry done herself. And so she asks her friend Jesus to redeploy the resources he has in Bethany. She says, assign my sister to me, let us do the work together. Let me offer a different translation of tonight's story. As they were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha received him. Martha had a sister called Mary, who also was one who sat at the Lord's feet, always listening to his words. But Martha was constantly stressed out by her ministry. She approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister regularly leaves me to minister alone? Tell her, therefore, to give me a hand. But the Lord answered her, saying, Martha, you are anxious and agitated concerning much, but really only one thing is needed from you. Mary has chosen good, and it will not be taken away from her. So Jesus tells Mary, not that, Ma sorry, Jesus tells Martha, not that Mary's choice is better, but that it is her calling, her personal calling. So Martha is called to refocus. Mary has her ministry and Martha's got hers. Both ministries are extremely good and each ministry is suited to the woman who carries them out. Mary and Martha 
need to be free to live into their respective calls. What is not abundantly clear is what ministry Mary and Martha are engaged in. So some suggest that Martha is a little bit like a home-based minister, kind of leading a home church or, yeah, doing some social work. But Mary might be more of an itinerant missionary. She's kind of really out in the streets spreading the gospel right there. If I was Mary's sister, I'd be feeling pretty distressed too. She loves her sister. Martha loves her sister. And I imagine that she worries for her sister's safety as Mary engages in this outwardly focused ministry. Would she, like probably you or I, think, I wonder if she carries her keys like weapons. Does she pretend to talk on her phone when she walks through dark alleys? Does she have a rape whistle? Things we are all too familiar with today. So, what does this little corner of the tapestry of scripture tell us today? A few things. First, Jesus was, at least in this story, an active feminist. Jesus is not simply making a minor edit to accepted gender roles of that time. He is smashing them, he is destroying them, and he is replacing them with an unheard of code of equality and egalitarianism. Jesus is literally living out his gospel of good news to the poor, freedom to captives, release to the downtrodden, by releasing women from situations and systems that oppress them. The second is that Mary and Martha are both human and therefore are both nuanced, like all of us are. They are not opposite sides of a dichotomy. So as such, doing and being, working and listening, active and contemplative are also not opposite sides of some dichotomy and they don't need to be chosen between. There is also not one side that is better than the other because that affects the way that you and I view behind-the-scenes minimum-wage serving jobs in our own societies, right? The gospel is that ministers and cooks are of equal value in the kingdom of God. Doctors and orderlies are of equal value in the kingdom of God. Lawyers and cleaners are of equal value in the kingdom of God. The work that we are called to individually is always valuable, varied and valued. There is not one way for each of us to live and move in this world. But each of us has a call to answer. So you need not choose whether to be a Mary or a Martha. Your choice is to choose Jesus and allow Jesus to choose you. And finally, tonight's story tells us that there is no such thing as men's work and women's work. There is no dirty work or lowly work or slave work. There is simply the work that we all share, which is the work of the kingdom of God. To serve one another, yes, here and beyond these walls. Because really the heart of this story is deceptively simple. The church has just been trying and failing and trying again to live this out for 2,000 years. So here's the point. To serve alone will tear you apart. We are called to serve together. And that requires us to leave behind our attachment to status or power or notions of what might be proper for people like us. 
whatever our gender or class or education level or ethnicity or whatever. We all have roles to to play in bringing forth the kingdom of God. But we do those roles together, never alone, but shoulder to shoulder. Thank you for listening to Reverend Radica's sermon. If you wish to keep praying, journaling and reflecting, here are some questions for further reflection. They will also be in the show notes. What do you feel moved to confess? How has your language been shaped by perceptions of gender? How have your perceptions of gender shaped your language? What jobs, roles, personalities do you look down upon as inferior? Thanks once again for listening to this episode of As Luck Would Have It. Please like and subscribe to the podcast and we would love it if you would leave a rating or a review on your favourite podcast platform. Signing off, have a great day and have a blessed Easter.